Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. You know, you can go on our webpage, everything.coop, to get previous shows, and you could put your email address, name and email address, to get information about future shows. But today's show, I am pleased to have Monique Reiser on the line with us this morning. Good morning, Monique. Good morning, Vernon. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be back on your show again so quickly thank with you, new information. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being on. I enjoyed it the first time and looking forward to it now. What part yeah. of the world are you in? I'm in Washington, D.C. today. Oh, okay. All right. I thought you were traveling. Got any opportunities going on? <laughs> always. <laughs> we always have opportunity going on. We're always chasing them. Absolutely. Lots going on in the world today. Well, Monique is the executive director of Opportunity Nation. And it creates an index, and so you have the 2017 index going on now. So it looks back at previous things and look at what the opportunity is for people in every state and 2,700 counties. I get that right? Okay. A uh, little couple changes this year. It's 2,100 counties this year for reasons that I will get into um, in the show today. 2,100 counties. Okay. Yeah, we made some changes. I'd say improvements to the index. So lots of interesting new findings to share with your your listeners. Okay. So for those that did not hear about you the last time, tell us what is the Opportunity Index and how did you guys get started? Sure. Thank you. So the Opportunity Index is a comprehensive measure of opportunity at the national, state, and county level. Um, We created it because uh, back when this campaign was founded about seven years ago, uh, so that was just at the end of the recession, we wanted to create a space to talk about issues of poverty in a bipartisan way and beyond simply economics, so beyond jobs and wages and poverty rates, which are really, really important measures of how the country is doing, but they don't really paint the complete picture of what we talk about when we say opportunity. So we worked with a research firm, a social science research firm, to come up with, at the time, 16 indicators of opportunity grouped in three dimensions, the economy, education, and community. And we measured those 16 indicators each year, created a score for every state and county. We ranked every state and graded every county with an opportunity score for six years. And this year, we decided to step back and look at what other factors should we have included in the index beyond those in the economy, education, and community. So working with social science researchers, again, and a lot of good advice from philanthropists and business owners and educators, we decided to update this index with measures of health. And we also decided to include data on incarceration rates and voter registration in this community dimension. So the 2017 index 
creates a score for every state and 2,100 counties, again, um, in these now four dimensions, economy, education, community, and health. And then you can go deeper into the data and look at not only what the score was for a state or county, the opportunity score was, you can also look at specific areas in the community. For example, now you can look at what was the incarceration rate at the state level or what is the rate of death by drug, alcohol, or suicide in a community. And all of these factors are included because they are based in social science research of what we know it takes for children and young adults and communities to thrive. So it's a really robust um, an interesting piece of work that takes a lot of effort across a lot of groups, researchers, our team, and storytellers to bring it together. But at the end, it is a tool and a resource for people in any part of the country to see how their community is doing. So this guy started in 2011? Yes. The 2011 index was the first index, and we just released the 2017 index two weeks ago. Two weeks. Oh, so we've got new news. All right. You are the, you are first out the gate. Okay. So you look back at the past year. Yeah. So doing? essentially, um, not to get too into the weeds for your listeners, but we take the most current data on each of these now 20 indicators. And we do some fancy math with very smart social scientists um, to come up with scores. So some of the data might be from different years, but we take the most current publicly available data to create these scores. Okay, the most current public data. So in 2011, we went into the recession 2007 and 8, and had major unemployment. Uh, people lost their homes, their assets yep. went down. And so we're just coming out of it. Uh, Precisely. Okay. Yes, so in 2011, our index, was capturing the wake of a recession. You know, unemployment was still at 9% in 2011. It was 10% at the peak of the recession. So 2011, the country was really hobbling still. So what's interesting about this year's index is because we included new indicators, there are only some comparisons we can make all the way back to 2011. In some comparisons, we've only made 2016 to 2017. But the overall sort of headline about opportunity in the country is that it is improving um, between last year and this year opportunity by our measures increased 2.6 percent so the nation's opportunity score essentially the country's grade on opportunity is getting better but the purpose of including different indicators is to show where some communities are struggling so across the board the economy is doing better in most communities. It, the economy dimension, as we say, which includes, and I can go through this, Vernon, if you think it's helpful, I can go through each of the indicators so folks sort of know what's in the index. Would that be helpful? I think we will in the future segments, but right now I just want to keep it at the big picture level. Sure. For this. So the headlines are definitely that, you know, the country is doing much better on unemployment. We're finally seeing improvement in wages. These are um, headlines that you've probably seen in the news. And uh, the poverty rate, interestingly, from our comparisons in the index, that's, that's one data point that we were able to track from 2011 to 2017, even with the changes we made. The poverty has improved pretty impressively from 2016 to 2017 in our index, but poverty has worsened since 2011. So 
we're seeing, you know, finally we're seeing sort of robust improvements across a lot of um, indicators in the economy and dimension from 2016 to 2017. But if you're looking at the past six or seven years, mm -hmm. there are still communities that are actually worse off when we're talking strictly about the poverty rate. Uh, the more complicated story for the country comes in around health and community. So these, you know, again, are included for sort of social science-based reasons, and they might not be areas that people think about when we think about, you know, is, is America still the land of opportunity? We, we, again, probably think about, can you can you start a business? Can you get a job? Are you being paid fair? Can you get a good education? And those are really important. But health and community are interesting because it's really interconnected to the rest of our world, right? If you don't have access to a doctor or you don't have healthcare coverage or there's an opioid epidemic in your community, it's probably also going to hurt your chances of getting and keeping a job that pays competitive wages. So the health indicators and the community dimensions have seen the slowest growth since 2016. The health dimension has improved the most because of health insurance. So I think you can point to some big social policy changes that have created more health insurance coverage for Americans. But at the same time, we're seeing increasing challenges with what are called deaths of despair. So OIP, opioid use despair. and abuse. You said death and despair. Yes, they're called deaths of despair. Those are deaths by drugs, alcohol, or suicide. And a lot of people would think of, I think, the opioid epidemic. But there are some communities that are seriously challenged when it comes to these issues. So the health dimension is where the country is struggling a little bit. Surprisingly, another area that surprised me um, in the health area is the rate of low birth weight babies. So we measure the our, our publicly available data looks at babies who were born under five and a half pounds as being low birth weight. And that is a really critical indicator for a beginning of life on what happens to those children when they grow up. That's correlated with many other negative health outcomes and, and economic outcomes. So we pay attention, we've added this indicator for that reason. And the rate of low birth weight babies has actually increased by 0.1% from 2016 to 2017. And it's going in the wrong direction for a lot of communities specifically for African-American communities. We had at our release event a couple of weeks ago in D.C. Um, a representative from the March of Dimes who dove into that a little bit deeper. And I have to say, Vernon, it was shocking and dismaying to see how negatively impacted African-American women are um, when it comes to low birth weight babies. There are far more disproportionately both low birth weight babies born to African-American women and it's something that we really have to pay attention to, not only for the health of our country. It's a social justice issue that is impacting African-American women in particular much harder than others. So that's uh, probably a segment for another day. Well, the I'm not sure because you've, you've, you've really got my attention <laughs> scary. I'm sitting over here almost shaking. When you tell me, that, okay, low birth rates, under five and a half pounds is an indicator of throughout that person's life of health challenges, perhaps not ability, therefore not able to have a job and just problems for the person and the, and the community. And that's worse in African-American communities. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I would, anybody who wants to see more how that particular issue is impacting their community on our website, opportunityindex.org, 
they can punch in their zip code or look for their county and see that particular indicator. And we also did something else new this year, which I'm really proud of. We included demographic information, which surprisingly had not been done before. But we included it this year because we felt it was really important for us to see the gender and racial and ethnic makeup of a community. So you can see you know, what that community looks like and then what those indicators are, such as with low birth weight babies. And you can see the percentage of African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, et cetera. So it really is... Uh, it really is an ocean of really good data and information, but the point is I think that every community has such interesting, different challenges, problems, and successes. There are some communities that have really um, driven up their opportunity scores through a number of reasons that we don't know for every community, but that's why it's so important for someone who is invested in their local community to go and see what it looks like, and they can get involved. We have links to coalition members who are working on particular issues that you might care about. You can connect with those coalition members, whether it's the March of Dimes or the United Way or the Boys and Girls Club, and get involved because the index is really just, not just, it's a really important compass to where there's progress and where there are challenges, but it doesn't take the action. You have to do something about it. Policymakers, educators, business leaders, it's really up to all of us to take this information and do something with it. Monique, we have to take our first break, and I really want to thank you for the work that you're doing. And we're going to come back and get into the weeds a little bit and talk about the future and what this, these indexes information can be used for. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, and 95.9. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we're talking to Monique Reiser this morning about the Opportunity Index. She's the executive director with a lot of information about our nation. This is Opportunity Nation. So, Monique, we talked about there are four overall segments, economy, number one, education, number two, health, number three, and community, number four. And health has been added. And health has been added and two new indicators in the community dimension, voter registration rates and incarceration rates. Voter registration rate, how many people are registered to vote and how many people incarcerate. are incarcerated? Wow. Yes, okay. at the state level. Now, what you said was for anybody out there, you can go on opportunityindex.org. Index. Now, during the break, I went online and I, I got up, and there's about the index, there's data and scoring, state rankings, national trend, and resources, the first five buckets you can hit, buttons you can hit. So how do you go in and put your, you said you can put your zip code, zip code or your, you can search for your county or state. So if you're on opportunityindex.org, you can click on state rankings and see all the states, or there's a box about halfway, third way from the top, and you can search by city, state, county, or zip and get the data for your community. Okay, so I went on that box. Like uh, if you wanted to look at Washington, D.C. And I went down to Washington, D.C., which is number 15. I click and it says the overall score is 56.8. And I click on District hmm. of Columbia. 
and I see 56.8 is the opportunity score, the e economy score is 48.7, the education score is 61.3, the community score is 61.7, and the health score is 55.4, and then you can see right below it the national scores. So it's below in some areas, like economy, it's above in education and community, and it's right on par with health score, with the national scores. Okay, and then you can go down and look at all of the 21 different variables that you look at. Seven in the economy, the yep. national is 4.1 unemployment rate, and for the district is 5.4. But median household income is $70,000 compared to 52000 for the national. So we make more money and we have more people unemployed. Yeah, this is, the district is a really interesting story because... You can draw, I think, pretty quickly on the policies or the cultural influences that are creating these scores. So, for example, D.C. has one of the highest rates of preschool attendance in the country. That's the percentage of children three and four who are in school. And early childhood education is really important, so we count that as a plus the more children who are in preschool. So in D.C., D.C. has a 75 percent. Yeah. Yeah. So that's because D.C. has universal preschool. It's free to attend. In other states and counties and cities, you're probably paying, you know, paying for your children to go to preschool. So you can see why there's such a high preschool attendance. And then you've got on-time high school graduation rate. What does that say, Vernon? Well, what's interesting about these scores is Preschool is 75% in the district compared to a national average of 48%. So it's less than half the people in the nation are going to preschool, but in the district, three-quarters are going to preschool. And then look at high school but graduation. high school graduation is lower. Yes. And it's interesting. 68% so, in the district are on-time high school graduations compared to 84% nationals. Yes. And then look at associate's degrees are higher. So... Post-secondary education is critical for, for the work in the future, and we're at 60% when the average and the, the national score, I should say, is about 39%. So there is this gap where we're doing a disservice to a lot of young adults in the district who aren't graduating on time. Um, but so, I mean, this is a story, though, that I think is not unique to D.C. D.C. is a unique place already, but there are many parts of the country where you see people living side by side, almost neighborhood next to neighborhood that have very different outcomes for their children. And that is one of the main points of the index is that where you live still has a really big impact on your opportunities in life and where you might go simply because of the community conditions that you are born into. And that be very difficult to get out of. I happen to have been born, so I was from, I'm from San Diego. I think our score is like a B plus or something. And I was born into not a lot of opportunity. My parents didn't have anything beyond a high school education. My parents were also never married. I grew up in a low-income home that had six children. Four of my siblings reflect, I think, some of the trends we see in D.C. They didn't finish high school. I was lucky enough to finish high school. I was fortunate enough to get an investment in me to go to college when we when I could not afford it. I was also a young mother, so I had investments that helped me and my son when I was 20 years old to finish school, that paid for him to go to preschool, 
fast forward 20 years later, through a lot of other interventions and supports and mentors and opportunities that I received, my son's in college on a science scholarship, and I have an opportunity to speak with you, Vernon, about what's happening to the rest of the country and those people we don't want to forget who were like me, who weren't born into the access that a lot of other children have, but because my community, my country cared about me and had the right social services and private investments and people who cared, I was able to get here. And I only tell that story because I really believe that it does take, and this is the philosophy of opportunity nation, it does take a comprehensive multi-sector approach to this very complex issue. Jobs are really important. They're essential, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Wages are important. Not living in poverty is important, but also your, the strength of your community and your ability to stay healthy are also critical, too. And those are all different actors who have influence on that, but they have to work together. You know, you, you told your story, and it's a wonderful American story, and mine is similar in that I grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia, and I looked, the, the mm-hmm. state ranking is 47, the Mm-hmm. Opportunity score is 44.8 or 45. The economy score is 50. Education is 46 compared to a national of 54. And we, D.C. was way up there. Community score is 46. And health score is 37 out of yep. 55 a lot of challenges nationals. there. So a lot, a lot of challenges. And it was pretty bad below. But it's, when I grew up there, graduated from high school in 65, so it's worse now than it was back then. Uh, preschool, we just talked about in the district, it was 75% of the kids between three and four in preschool. In West Virginia, it's 34% compared to a national average of 48%. So it's it's much worse. But on-time high school is interesting. Graduation is 86.4% in West Virginia, where it's only 80 84% national, so it's a higher on-time graduation. But then they sort percent. of drop off and don't seem to be able to access higher education as much as the other rest of the country. You'll see like a 26% of adults have an associate's degree or higher. Well, and I, so, I'm also thinking, though, Monique, that a lot of people that graduated from high school leave West Virginia. And who's left there are people possible. with associate degrees. That's a, so that's a really good point, and I think you see that in the district, too. My sense is in D.C., those associate's degrees or higher are probably bachelor's and master's and Ph.D.s, and they're imported. You know, a lot of those, a lot of folks from D.C. who live in D.C. aren't from D.C., right. so they come here and they're captured in this data. And so it, that's why it's important to know your community, and, and we rely on folks like you and, and others who, who have lived there and know what the community looks like. But that's a really good point. So I'll make a quick plug for a, a an additional index that we'll be releasing in the new year, looking at metropolitan levels. And you see we include population change in that index. So you can see exactly what you're talking about. Like, for example, the Detroit um, metropolitan area lost about 1.3 million residents in the last um, 10 years. I mean, they had a huge departure in, in, in folks. So that absolutely impacts a community if you're losing talent 
because employers can't find talent. They don't want to move there. They don't want to bring their business there if they're not going to find talent. So population changes are a really important indication of the community's health as well. So also in Detroit, which I lived there for a while, my brother raised his family there, you will see that which and most people that leave that flight are the people a lot of times that have the education. Exactly. <laughs> okay. They have the resources, they have the education. And I, I think that's a really fair assumption for what you're seeing in West Virginia. And the people that stay or people that don't have the education can't get the jobs or they don't have opportunity in West Virginia. One of the things I've seen is you lose hope. And when people lose hope, uh, they'll do things like drugs and other things, and then the opioid crisis hits up, and it just spirals downhill. Yes, and there's another intergenerational component when you're looking at a community that has a higher or low percentage of adults with associate's degrees or higher. We see a really close link between that indicator and the rate of disconnected youth. So disconnected youth are young people 16 to 24 who are not in school and also not working, but are available and looking for work. So these are young people who are essentially unemployed, but could be working and are looking for work. And they're not in school. They're not doing anything. 18 to 24? 16 to 24. Okay. We got to take a break here, but we'll be right back. I would, we'll take it right back on this and get into the weeds a little bit more on all four of these main subjects to get into what those other 21 variables are. But we'll be right back with Monique and Opportunity. D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O. at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. And the National Cooperative Bank sponsors this program. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing financial, innovative financial and related services. So we are talking about the Opportunity Index, and one of the reasons I've, I just find this very, very interesting, Monique, to, to take an mm-hmm. overall look at our nation to see where there's opportunity or not in community by community and then rank each one of them. But the reason I'm, I've asked you to be on this program, we're talking about co-ops. And yeah. so let me just tell you why this fits so well in the cooperative conversation Uh, Co-ops are formed to solve community problems. And Mm -hmm. as one of my guests said four years ago, the first month we were on in October, said if there is no community problem, there's no need for a cooperative. Okay, Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that I'm looking as you as you identify those areas where there's lots of opportunities and those areas where there are not in their particular issues, whether that's in health or in housing or in education, jobs, whatever there's problems, then what would like for people in that community to look at the cooperative business model to see how to solve that com- that particular community problem. And the co-op values, let me just tell you about those very quickly so you will know them and the people out there. Co-op values are self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, and solidarity. And in the tradition of the founders of cooperatives, they believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, 
social responsibility and caring for others. So if, if you've got a business that's caring for others and they're honest and they're open, transparent with their financials and what they're doing and their policies and decision makings, you can really solve these community problems. And the, the principles, there are seven. I'll just speak of two of them. The fifth one is the main reason I started liking co-ops. And the fifth principle is education, training, and information. And that gets to be the core of why, why co-ops are successful. Monique, five years after a co-op starts, 90% of those co-ops are still in business. Compared Amazing. to the normal capitalistic model, five years out, there's only 10 to 15 of those businesses still in business. So it's a, a flip, and the key variable is this education. It takes longer to get one started. It takes longer for decisions to be made because you have the whole group in the decision-making process. But once the decision is made, implementation happens, and it happens extremely well because there's buy-in. And there is the seventh principle is concern for community. So it's in the cooperative DNA and the values of social responsibility and concern for community that the cooperative members can decide if there's profit uh, or surplus, however they call it. They can decide what happens to that profit. The members can decide. And they, a lot of them I've heard, they, they divide it into dividends for the members, some money for philanthropy in the community. If, if there's education or children born low weight, they could put money into that. And they leave some money into the business for growth. So this co-op mm-hmm. model is sort of for the community to identify, and this is where it fits so well with the information that you guys are providing that I'm just excited about learning about, <laughs> is when identifying those areas that don't work, those communities where there are opportunity <laughs> yes. to get things done. So let's get into the weeds now. Of yes. Like there are seven variables under economy, and we talked about some of them, jobs, wages, poverty. I was trying to wait to the last segment, but I think we have to do it <laughs> because we've already had two segments go by, and we only have another half an hour here. So can you talk about the variables, and what do you see for the future? Sure. I'll just close up, too, on this last point before the last break. Okay. An important um correlation is that the higher the rate of adults age, over the age of 25 with associate's degrees, the lower the rate of disconnected youth. And the, the rate of disconnected youth, just to take that point a little bit further, has the strongest correlation with opportunity scores at the state level. So essentially, the more youth that are connected to school and work, the better a community's sort of overall score is. And that is a way to sort of get to an area you can work on very specifically that could benefit the rest of the community. So working with young adults to get them on clear paths to post-secondary education and careers is the way, is this one, one very targeted way to increase opportunity in a community. So I'll take you through the rest of the indicators because some are probably not obvious to others, but what, in what, the economy can, dimension. Let me, let me talk about that one in a minute because that one is striking to me because what I'm hearing you say is if youth are connected to the community, they're working or they're in school, those ages from 16 to 24 years old, if they, that's the 
I guess you're saying the number one variable, the main variable, to say how the community is doing overall. Yeah, so it's the strongest correlation with an overall opportunity score. The higher the rate of disconnected youth, the lower that state's opportunity score. The lower the rate of disconnected youth is the higher the rate of uh, the higher the opportunity score. What's interesting is that the the county level. So you can go on to the website and look at the technical note that gets into the details for those of your readers who are interested. I'm that kind of person who really likes to understand sort of the way these indicators interact with each other. And at the county level, the number one correlation with opportunity scores is the percentage of um, adults with higher education. So the more adults with higher education, the higher the opportunity score at the county level. Another, I'll just throw this one last sort of fun and interesting correlation is that it's not fun. It's actually terrible, but it's fascinating because it was a new finding for us. The second strongest correlation with opportunity at the state level is incarceration rate. So the higher the incarceration rate in a state, the lower the opportunity score and vice versa. So it's a way to sort of come at these 20 indicators and say, okay, if I wanted to pick one or two where I really want to make an impact that would seem to impact positively the rest of the community at the state level, I'd work on reconnecting youth and decreasing those incarceration rates. That could be reforming the criminal justice system because we're incarcerating too many people. It could also be helping people get out of the uh, the criminal justice system and into productive career pathways. You could look at that in a couple of different ways. But I think, you know, what we found is that when we decided to include incarceration rates in this year's index, it was partially because there has been so much bipartisan national conversation around an issue that is impacting communities. We have clearly disproportionately incarcerated African-American and Hispanic people, primarily males, it's impacting communities. And we also just incarcerate way too many people. We incarcerate far more people than any of our nation peers. So we included it because we wanted to see what it would tell us. And it told us that it's a really important indicator when it comes to opportunity. I I just really like the knowledge I'm getting here from you, Monique. Thank you so (laughs) very much for doing the work and being on the program and sharing it. Because I have it that, well, I have three nephews in jail right now. Oh, my. I'm so sorry. And it's it's huge. And, well, it's two, two nephews and one great-nephew. And it's huge in African-American community and Latino-American community. And it's men, as you said. And so when you told me that you had put this new index in, it's like, okay, at the state level, this is what it implies. But what does it yes. imply to these communi- African-American communities when you have low birth rates and high incarceration. Yeah, I mean, that's where you can go into the index website and see, you can look for yourself, communities where there might be low birth rate rates, high incarceration rates, and high high populations of African Americans and Latinos. On the other hand, and I think this is an important point, you know, we included race and gender because we wanted to see what we would find, but I think we also want to be careful not to, like, draw too many conclusions and reinforce negative stereotypes because there's two ways that folks could come at this, right? It's mm-hmm. like, look at these communities with high populations of communities of color and they're failing. What is their problem? And we, and they could be personalized. And we don't want to do that because you can look at communities like West Virginia and others. If you took the five bottom states and looked at their racial makeup, they're all majority white states, actually. All of them are, none of them are majority communities of color states. So, My point is 
negative socioeconomic conditions and poverty impacts people across races and ethnicities. However, there are some unique there are challenges that are particularly disproportionately hard on on communities of color, no matter where they live. And there are particular challenges that impact people in poverty, no matter what their race is. So you can cut it in a lot of different ways, but we, what we want to do is, you know, the purpose of this was to expand a conversation about equity and really our call to action with this data is, okay, we provided some very, you know, basic data but I'm really relying on even some of my friends that I've asked to come and speak on this issue. Um, help us now do some more sense making on what we're seeing on racial and ethnic um, trends in these communities. Is there more research we can do to understand not just correlations, but some stronger linkages? Or sometimes it's even just having the data to show people. I think people are surprised sometimes when they see what's happening in their own community or that, you know, wow, I had no idea that a third of our citizens were not born here and look how robust our community is. We want to draw both positive and challenging correlations again so we can do something about it and we can learn from the communities that are doing well. Well, you know, I'd, I'd like what you said. If you look at the, last, the bottom five is West Virginia, Nevada, Mississippi, Louisiana, New Mexico – all majority white in terms of population. <clears throat> so I, that gets to an axiom that I have that poverty, uh, it just does not discriminate. <laughs> it just doesn't It doesn't discriminate. discriminate. And there are very real historical legacies that this country is grappling with. I mean, I, I think hopefully if there's one thing that like, the country agrees on is that we have some serious race challenges in this country still. I happen to be an interracial person of color. My mother is Hispanic. I'm a fifth-generation Mexican on my mother's side, and my father's African-American, and my children are interracial as well. So we live this every day. But at the same time, you're right. There are certain inputs that need to happen in a community so people can rise. They need a good education. They need caring adults in their life. Hopefully it's their parents. That does not happen for every child. So we need caring adults in communities to step up for these kids. And they need a good post-secondary education pathway. And they need very clear guidance on a career pathway. These are the fundamentals that I have found over the two and a half-ish years that I've been working on with Opportunity Nation and the data we have and the coalition members we work with. We know we actually know a lot about what the answers are. The hard part is making decisions to do something about it when it comes up against traditional forms of power, traditional forms of capital, traditional thinking, or how we've always sort of thought about where we place our investments. I mean, there was a time where we didn't provide high school education for, for the country. Right. We did it because we realized we were going to fall behind the rest of the world by not having a skilled workforce. So we decided as a country we're going to invest in public education all the way up to the 12th grade. Well, we are at that another turning point in this country where everybody from, from left, right, and center knows and agrees that we need to also now skill up our citizens for the next revolution, the next economic revolution, whether it's robots or artificial intelligence, change is coming, and we need to prepare for it, and we need to prepare our citizens for it no matter where they live. 
no matter where they live, and we're going to take our next break and come back and talk a little bit more. We only have one more segment. I need two more <laughs> hours with you. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Vernon. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. So everybody out there, if you have any questions or comments, you can call 1-800-450-7876. 1-800-450-7876. And we'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOM, 95.9 FM. Information is power, and this is what we've been talking about with Monique Reiser here today, is if if you get a college education and have career path, you have the information how you can have a career path in your life, that gives you the information where you can really have power to increase the opportunity for yourself and your family and, therefore, your community. But what you talked about a little bit, Monique, and I'd like to spend a little bit of time on it, is our traditional views on power and how capital is put together and how policies are made. And being African-American, both parents, African-American, that too often in too many communities, you have policies that really hurt African-Americans, Native Americans, Latino Americans, but in some communities like West Virginia, which is, I think, 95% white, you have policies that hurt everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, how do we get politicians in place and also get politicians to provide the kinds of policies that really help these indexes so that people have more opportunity, the masses? And it's Yep. No, that's a great question. I mean, the, the, the policies are a really important piece of making change. And I have to amend one thing that I said about the bottom five states being majority white. New Mexico is not a majority white state, so I just want to correct myself there. Okay. But I think my, my point is that, as you share, like, uh, poverty does not discriminate. But as far as policies that can be um, changed, you know, I wish I had a, a great answer to that question. I think at the end of the day... It's going to be everyday people getting more involved and becoming better informed um, and from, you know, the right sources and credible sources on what's happening in their community. I have found coming from, you know, a family in a community that didn't have access to power, didn't have access to capital, and was very much sort of like just you know, surviving every day, like living paycheck to paycheck. My stepfather was a mechanic and my mother stayed home with us. The the policies that we hear talked about in the country are complex and can be very confusing. And so I really believe in the democratization of information and knowledge. I think that that is a huge barrier for the majority of people to actually have a say in what's going on. I mean, from health reform to tax reform to immigration reform, These are really complicated pieces of federal legislation that even congressional members don't have the time or maybe even ability, if I could go so far to say, to really understand within these pieces of legislation. So, I mean, I'm just like breaking it down for the average person, Mm -hmm. of which I am. This is like, how can we have influence on something that we don't understand? And so I think, you know, just in a perfect world, people would have a, a, be able to better understand policies that are being proposed that are going to impact large swaths of the American public. So that's at the federal level, and that's tough. I think mean, you've got to find your right sources and, and talk about it and not be afraid to talk about 
issues that you don't understand and build relationships with others who are willing to have candid civil dialogue so we can actually come to some resolutions. But there's a lot more opportunity, I think, at the local level. I went to my children's state PTA, their first ever advocacy day. I have not been involved in the PTA in years because I just haven't had time. Mm -hmm. I have a 14-year-old and a 19-year-old. And it was amazing to see, like, wow, I've got half of our board of supervisors here and many of our school board here that I can go and talk to and tell them what I think needs to happen in the school district for my kid. That is access to power. And I can demand that there are hearings and I can go in and I can have conversations with them and other parents. And I can make change there. It starts there. So while we talk about federal policies, it's in the news every day. That's really important. We should be informed on that. And we should elect congressional members that represent our views, what we think is going to be best for the country and for our community. But there's a lot of opportunity at the local level as well to get involved and make change today for your kids and your neighbor's kids. Getting involved. And I'd say to you that um, we've been on this program for a little over four years. And I've had cooperators, people that are in co-ops, housing co-ops, credit unions, uh, worker cooperatives. When they get involved in co-ops, this this sort of build relationships you talked about, they they build relationships in the co-op. And, again, part of the mission of the co-op is to educate folks. It's normally educating people about the business, but in doing that, they learn about profit and loss statements and financials and savings and why this is important, and they learn how to make decisions together. And so what ends up happening is they get more involved in the community because they have more data, more access. Um, I think that's a really important point, Vernon, and I think that's like the strongest connection about the philosophies of co-ops and the way that you've explained to me and what we really need to see broadly across our country. Um, One of the reasons we include a community dimension is to look at how closely we are, how much we're involved in our community. So one of the indicators is on volunteerism, which has completely declined since 2011. Um, There's a project going on in the Joint Economic Committee called the Social Capital Project that's looking at all different forms of associational life, from, from marriage to volunteerism to voting to participating in religious institutions. And this is sort of like the squishy part of opportunity. This was really the story that we told about last year's index because essentially the opportunity score had stalled. It had not increased at all from one year to the next. And the place that it declined, the the dimension that declined was community. People were just less connected to one another. And I think that really resonated with what we saw with last year's election, people feeling feeling very separated from one another. And, And that holds true today. You know, the... Connecting to our community sounds sort of old-fashioned, I think, and maybe doesn't resonate right away when we're talking about people getting jobs and having uh, uh, an economically secure life, but it has a ton to do with it. Most people get jobs or somebody they know. So if you don't have a wide network and people don't know you or you don't know people who need help, how can you be there to make referrals? So this is the non-data side of me talking, but the data reflects, I think, what we know, which is that community life is important, and it's showing the slowest gains, according to our research. Well, in cooperatives, and there was a research done of a housing co-ops funded by HUD uh, compared to apartment buildings funded by HUD, and in every variable, the co-ops outperform the apartments. I mean, every variable, Hmm. which I I question why the U.S. doesn't put more money into housing co-ops. It's affordable housing, but 
social wealth, much better in housing co-op, much more community involvement, and financial mm-hmm. wealth. And if you look, if you could measure education, it would be very higher, much higher in a in a cooperative than those people that get involved in a co-op. They have to learn, and I like seeing people learn, um, particular adults learning in an environment where they have to know, so they they really mm-hmm. will grapple with it and 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 get it. We don't have but a couple more minutes left here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Time flies by with you, Vernon. <laughs> we, we need we need three hours together. I know. <laughs> and I do also want to find out when you are having, like you said a couple of weeks ago or so, you you had something out where you you said here's the findings, and I'd like to start coming to some of your events. I really want to know more. But it's like also I would like to see is answering a question: What will the text? tax change that they're talking about. What will this tax change do to your indexes? I mean, that would be interesting. You're looking mm. back a year or two yeah. or so when it changes. <laughs> but if you could look forward and say, like, yeah. like you're saying, this is a complicated issue. I, I didn't call it tax reduction purposefully because I don't have a sense that it's going to reduce taxes for me or you or middle-class people. It may reduce taxes for wealthy people and corporations, but we may end up paying more taxes. But what will that do to your opportunity index five years down the road? I think a futures opportunity index would be a fascinating project to work on. And if there are people who want to fund a project like that, I will happily find the experts to put that that together. That's a really interesting idea. And I will say we have something like that right now. PwC, the huge consulting firm, partnered with us this year. I know we're um, out of time, but you can go on the index website and they've done some sort of predicting. They looked at um, industries and skills that could be automated. So skills that could be automated in the community. You can go to the county level and see all that data. And that gives you kind of a sense of sort of a futuristic prediction, but a futuristic analysis of how the index would change based on tax reform would be fascinating. So what is that webpage? Oh, so it's on our index website, opportunityindex.org. We partnered with PwC to provide some additional data that aren't factored into opportunity scores, but it's just interesting data to look at. So if you look at the county level, you can look at the diversity mix of a business, the the risk of automation in a community, and the top, I think, 10 skills in a community that was provided by monster.com. Okay. Now, tell us last minute, what do you want to leave us with? I want to leave your listeners with some sense of hope and urgency. The country's improving in a lot of important areas, but communities and health are still very much a challenge, and they are interconnected to economic strength. Health and community strength and incarceration and disconnection are really, really important to what we talk about when we talk about opportunity. So dig into the data, find out how your community is doing, and please find a way to get connected and take some action and follow this journey along for the next year, and we'll see how opportunity scores look next year. Thank you, and we'll try to have you on in six months and again in 12 months. It's always a great, great pleasure. Thank Uh, you, Vernon. Thank you for what you do. And everybody out there, please have a wonderful cooperative week. Get involved.